Turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. As a, uh, as a pastor, um, I think about, from week to week, I always think about uh, how the message came across and uh, maybe how you're hearing it, too. And even in this passage, I, I really want to know, as a pastor, that you're getting it. Not because I have this great message, but because Christ has a great message for us. And that we've been working through this passage, and it's been tough. Uh, Sermon on the Mount and, and the ideas that Jesus has presented uh, has been tough. And I've heard your responses, and even in my own heart, as I've grappled with this, these passages, it's been difficult. Sometimes when we come to the Scriptures, and we come to church... We come looking for it to uh, God's word to somehow be the same as my own heart and life. We want them to match. We want to see them as the same. And so we come to church and we're looking to be validated or justified. And we're looking for what we find in God's word to somehow say, you're great. You're great. And so in our hearts, we can say, Yay for me. I'm great. I've, I've, I've done it all. I'm right with God. That somehow this last week was uh, something He approved of. And so yay for me. And so sometimes as we come to God's Word, we realize uh, that it isn't so good. That we're guilty before Him. And even as a group sang, um, one line in there talking about our sins being a list a mile long. I think we can relate to that. And as we come to God's word this morning, maybe as upon revelation, uh, we will see the list grow longer. Um, And so this morning, I want to tell you that this is not that we would be great, but that we would see his kingdom as greater, a greater place for us to live and to be a part of uh, than this life and my own uh, self-effort. Please stand in honor of God's word. And I'd like to read to you the last section of chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. God's word says this, starting at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God, thank you for this morning. I ask that you would... Make our hearts moldable before you. Cause us to be a humble recipient of your word. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, Do your work in your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want you to picture this morning and be reminded that Jesus is preaching. He's sharing his message. And if you could picture yourselves this morning... Not looking at me or or hearing from this preacher, but hearing from Jesus, His words, looking into His face as He shares 
what his kingdom's about, how it's different. As I think about this, I think that this is the place where we will find grace for the guilty. That that's the, the situation that we want to uh, see Christ and, and his message and allow him to reorder our world. Jesus' message is different uh, because we look in the eyes of the Savior, that we look in the eyes of the King. That sometimes when you, you, you've maybe gone to a school or a class or a seminar, and it's been instructive, and it's the desire is for you to learn information. It's all secondhand. It's I heard from this one guy who I went to this other place, and I went to this school, and I learned this information. But as Jesus is sharing it, he's sharing it as the king. He's not saying, uh, yeah, I heard this from somebody, and it's kind of a kingdom over here, and I'm a part of it, and you're going to be a part of it too. He's saying, I'm the king. And as he shares this, he shares as the Messiah as well, the one who would come, the Savior that would die as time went on for them. And so as we look at this message, we look into the face of our King, we look into the face of our Savior. In verse 43, he starts it out as this section as he has the rest of them. And he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, love your neighbor. As you hear, love your neighbor, that's obvious, isn't it? Your neighbor, uh, not just, you know, the one that lives on the right or the left, those people. But the idea that, uh, you know, everyone's question as the disciples said, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? It's those that you are partnering in life with. The ones that you're living side by side with. It's those people that are close to you. And he says, love your neighbor. And they all go, yeah, of course. Love your neighbor. I, I had that one already. Uh, Jesus says, I, as I consider that, that that's so obvious. Uh, as you talk to little children, they would have that. Even having not gone to uh, Sunday school or to church or study the scriptures, they would know, love those who are close to you. As you pull those near, you should love them and, and have this kind of love relationship where you're sharing that love one to another. And so Jesus states what some would say, the obvious. Love your neighbor. The teaching of the Old Testament. And then he moves on to the common teaching of the day, even probably what those scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees had taught them, is love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And, and it seems that obvious too, that there's a sense of you pull near in love those people that you're partnering with, and those people that are mean to you, you push them away. You avoid them. You, you, you shove them off. And it's this pulling near, shoving off. And, and when we meet somebody, there's a question of, okay, so who are you? How am I going to treat you is based on how you treat me. How, how our relationship goes from here. Let, let me stop for a minute here. Much of the terms that I'm going to use today of love and hate, are thrown around politically all the time. Uh, they're used out in the world for country upon country, uh, upon different nationalities to different nationalities and skin colors and so on and so forth. These things are thrown around all the time. But I want to tell you, this is not about politics this morning. This is a politics-free zone. 
No amens or anything? Come on now. Get a pulse out there, please, people. Um, we, uh, it, this is not about politics this morning. This is not uh, about our judicial system of what happens when someone sins and the laws of our land. This is not about that. What this is about, it's about personal relationships. It's about how you deal with the people around you. The people you're in contact with every day. Sometimes people in your home, okay? Family members. This is what he's talking about. He's not talking about politics and, and countries and judicial systems. He's talking about you and me. How we relate to the people that we relate to. He says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. This is what you've heard. And everyone's on board. Everyone's going, yeah, I got that. The religious leaders have taught us that for time. It's interesting that um, it really doesn't say hate your enemies in the Old Testament. That was kind of an addition. That was an obvious addition. You know, love the ones that you're partnering with, but also push away or hate those who hate you, your enemies. Verse 44, Jesus once again is going to show them the difference in his kingdom. But I say to you, love your enemies. Did you get that? He says, you've heard it said, uh, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. Love those. And then he says, but Jesus says, I, but I say authoritatively, this is different than the kingdom that you came from. This is my kingdom. They're looking into the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord his, the king's face, and he says, love your enemies. And the people who heard it first, uh, those who were at the sermon, you know what they were saying in their heart? But, 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 um, but, but, my, but my situation's different. But you don't know who I, my enemies are. But I have a special situation that you just haven't heard all the details about that wouldn't apply and cause this. But, you know, Jesus, this teaching's wrong for me. For me. And my guess is here this morning that as we read the scripture, we struggle with this as well. And Jesus says to us, He says, I got a, a different message, a message about my kingdom. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. He goes on uh, to say one more thing. Uh, Love your enemies, and he says, and pray for those who persecute you. Those who are actively involved in bringing pain to your life. He says, pray for them. And immediately, some of your more theologians here are going, you mean like some of those... Prayers in Psalms where they're asking about their family members be dashed upon the rocks. That kind of prayer. Because most of the time we, we say, you know, I have a prayer list and, and it's long and I have. And you know who makes it on my prayer list? People I love. People who love me. The people who I care for and they care for me. They make it on my prayer list. Those are the ones that I care about before the Lord. And he says, you know, you know who should also make on that list? That's the obvious ones where you just described there. The ones who persecute you. That you would bring them before the Father. As I think about that, um, 
That's different, isn't it? It's different. Um, and what's it different like? Than the world out there? No, like the world in here, right? I think so often we go, yeah, that's worldly. That's the way we think, isn't it? Love those who love us. Hate those who don't like us, right? It seems logical. And then Jesus enters and he says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. As you look at that and you go, you're starting to tense up inside. You're you're, you're struggling and I'm with you. I I look at this and I go, but Jesus, that's not what I already do. I want to tell you, this is really important to understand. Jesus is not looking for you to stay the same. He's looking for you to be transformed. Remember the word? Repent. It was John the Baptist's word. And then Jesus, as he came and preached, guess what he was preaching? Repent. Change. You need to change. And so he brings us to this point. And he, I, I want to come in saying, yay, I've done it. And I go, no, I haven't done it. And I, so I need to change. And Jesus brings us to this passage and he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? You look at that next verse. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Well, what is he saying there? Is he saying when you do that, you finally get adopted into the family? No, I don't believe that's true. I think the picture here is this, that there's a family resemblance. We talk about it all the time. Uh, Some of us look like family members. You look like your dad or you look like your mom. He's not talking about your looks. He's not talking about your hair or your size or your skin color. He's saying that there's a family resemblance. And it's the way you act. Some of us uh, say stuff like this all the time. We say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm German, so I'm stubborn. I get a free pass on that, huh? Because it's just the way I am. Just the way I am. You know, I, I, I come from a, a family, you know, where we're this nationality here. So we argue a lot. Huh? We're, we, this is the way we deal with this. We yell a lot. We're, we're unkind to one another. We're rude. Huh? Well, that may be part of the family resemblance. It may be part of your nationality. But Jesus is saying that in my kingdom, we bear resemblance to our Father who is in heaven. And, and what does He do? What does He do? I, I, I don't want to see things where they're not and uh, superimpose things. But, but do you see the gospel in there? Do you see the gospel? Romans tells us that while we were yet sinners, uh, who are we sinning against? Well, everybody. You know, we were sinning against... Our family members, this, that, and you. No, no, forget all that. What's the the core of sin? It's rebellion against God. We're in active war with our Father in heaven, and what did He do? He loved us. He loved us. And He says this. He says this. Bear the resemblance of your Father. That there's He. He is the epitome of love. We've, we've sung about it this morning. He's the one who loved us. And so now he says, take that same attitude into the world, into your personal relationships. 
It's not just love who, those who you want to love and the one who love you back. But he says, love your enemies and care or pray for those who persecute you. As Jesus outlines this, we just go, it's just different. It's just different. That's a different kingdom. And he says, yes, it is different. I want to just say different. It's better, superior. Pray for them. And then he gives a few questions as he seeks to get at the heart of who we are in this love-hating relationship. In verse uh, 45, he says, For he makes, and, and this is speaking of the Father in heaven, For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Uh, as you think about that, as you think about it, it's important to, to get this picture. Um, some of us, raise your hand if you've ever seen Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, thank you. Thank you. If you didn't raise your hand this afternoon, I want to encourage you to watch any episode of Winnie the Pooh. There's one particular character, one of which many of you can identify with, Eeyore. And Eeyore goes about life and there's at least a cloud and most of the time it's raining on Eeyore. And and I want to tell you that's inaccurate. That's inaccurate. It may be a perception, right? That some people it's raining in their world and other people it can be a sunny day and, you know, this is a perception. But I want to tell you that the reality is that when it rains, it rains on a whole area. And it rains on the just and the unjust. It, it rains on the good and the evil. And you, you look at that and you say, well, rain, is rain good or bad, by the way? Right now it's good, right? We need the rain. Like during the summer, you know, it, it's part of God's blood. Well, how about the sun? It's part of God's blessing as well. We could talk about that uh, just from a, a stand. Of living. These are things that we need to live. And guess what? It's provided by one, our Heavenly Father. Nobody else provides that. The sun just doesn't do its thing, and I don't know how it got there, and I don't know, and somehow the clouds somehow collect the water, and it gets up there, and then it uh, comes down again, just happens to do that, and it's good for it. Like, those things don't just happen, they're part of the schedule and the plan of God. Our Father in heaven. And guess what He does? He blesses the earth with sun and rain. I want to tell you that these are God's common blessings. And you know what? He blesses everybody with them. He just blesses people. And you say, well, that's unfair. Yeah, it might be. But don't worry about that right now. The point is this. The point is this. And, and this happens in so many different areas. The, 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 sun and the, uh, the sun and the rain, these things, these are all part of God's blessings. And they happen all the time. But there's other blessings as well. You, you watch people who, who don't care anything about God, that they're, they're somehow blessed in relationship and they enjoy human relationship. And you go, how can they be happy without God? That's His blessing. They have children. They rejoice at the birth of a child. Guess what? It's God's blessing. They're able to provide for their family. They get a job. They have skills. They're able to enjoy good things here on this earth. That's God's common blessing, whether they acknowledge it or not. And you say, well, 
God does that for them, even though they don't return it? I wouldn't do that. I'd cut them off. Cut them off. If I was in charge, I wouldn't let them have that good stuff. Jesus is saying, I know. I know. But you're coming into my kingdom. I'm not going into yours. Jesus said, this is the way things work in in my kingdom. We bear the resemblance of our Father, whose common blessings go to all. You see, I talked about this before. Most of us get this attitude where we say, hey, uh, I'm going to meet somebody and I'm going to decide. Well, are you going to be kind to them or are you going to reject them? You say, well, it depends how they act. I'm going to wait. I'm going to say, are you going to love me or hate me? Let's spend some more time and then I'll decide. I'll decide whether I'm going to reject you and throw you off based upon how you treat me. Jesus said, that's not the way we do it in my kingdom. The way we do it in my kingdom is we, as the Father does, we show grace. We love those in contact with. We, we, we are kind to them, no matter if they, they are kind to us or not. In verse 46... It says this, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collectors? How did we get to talking about tax collectors? How do tax collectors live? And you say, well, immediately we go to IRS type stuff, and that's not going to help us at all in this discussion. Um, Tax collectors, they owned a, a road or a toll booth or an area, and they just basically collected taxes as people came through. And there was a sense of that they extended a bill. They said, you owe this much. And people either paid it or they didn't and hassled them and so on and so forth. What are the ones, who are the people that the tax collectors enjoyed? People who paid their taxes, right? Hey, good to see you. Here's your money. They're like, Love that person. They never hassle me. They never question the bill. They never go. They always have their money ready. They're ready to go. And you say, well, that's just based on selfishness. Yes, that's how tax collectors work. And that may be how we work. If someone's nice to us, if they do what we tell them to do, if when we ask them, they say, yes, they're good. But if they don't, they're bad. And he says, look, you know, If that's the way you work, if that's the way you operate, aren't you just like a tax collector? There's nothing different about you. I want to interject in here. um, Doesn't that sound like just survival of the fittest? Protecting ourselves? Uh, When I say survival of the fittest, I, I know that most of us go to evolutionary stuff, but I'm not talking about this. I'm just talking about us now, right here. I'm saying self-protection. I'm pushing people off because I need to survive. I'm looking for people who can comfort and be partners with me, but I'm also pushing off those who are threatening me. That's just the way it happens. And he says, yeah, that's how a tax collector does it. What difference or what reward is there in that? You see, a tax collector is based on selfishness. And I want to tell you the way our Lord's kingdom works doesn't come from selfishness, but is true, truly sacrificial and gracious. To treat people in such a way, not because they deserve it, but to extend love to them because they don't deserve it. 
You get that? It's super important for us to get. Is that we don't treat people kind and extend love to them because they deserve it. We do that because they don't deserve it. And we know about that. Because that comes from our Father. That's just like our Father. Verse 47 says this, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. He says, hey, you know, these are my family members, my brothers, those who are part of my crew. I bring those and I greet them and I, I shower them with love, but nobody else, nobody else. They're not part of me. And he says, that's just like the Gentiles. And you say, well, what does that have to do with, you know, you have God's people, the Jews, and you have then those who aren't part of them. They're the Gentiles, everybody else. The point there is this. It's not a national thing. It's not your, your nationality or what family you come from. It's the idea of not having a true God. It's not having a relationship with Him. Because if you don't have a relationship with God, it doesn't matter how you treat people. It doesn't matter what family you're a part of. It doesn't matter because no one is holding you accountable. No one is looking. You're not answering to anyone. And he says, that's the way the Gentiles live. They just do their own thing. And Jesus says this. He says, look, I want to tell you that this just doing and loving who you want, as opposed to even loving your enemies. He says this. That's just like people who don't have a relationship with God. Then he closes up this section by saying this. Verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Wow, he ties up this section. and We've heard that before, right? He'd already said, he'd already talked about this idea of being perfect. Now, immediately, so, so picture that group of people hearing it from the Savior. Hearing it from the Lord talking about his kingdom. They're looking into the eyes of the Savior. And then he says, you must be perfect. What did they say in their hearts? You know what they said? Whatever language they were speaking, however you'd say it, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And then they would have been, well, I'm better than them. They would have started looking around. I'm at least better than them. At least better than my husband. (laughs) That guy. (laughs) Yeah, better than, you know, my neighbor over there. I've seen what they do. They they yell. They're fighting all the time. I hear them, you know, in the other house, you know. And they, they oh, not that guy I work with over there. I think he kind of steals from the boss every once in a while. He's lazy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm Nobody's perfect, but I'm, I'm better than they are. They immediately, immediately. And I want to be honest with you. Um, when I read that passage, I do the same. I start going right away. Nobody's perfect. And then I start thinking through, well, um, that word perfect probably doesn't mean perfect. It probably, if you study it out, it really doesn't mean that. Because it can't mean that, and I don't want it to mean that. So we better figure out there's a different explanation for that. Um, I didn't do a deep study on this, but if you look in that passage, one of the greatest uh, Bible study tools is context. Okay? Not word study, but context. Uh, what's the example of perfection that he uses there? 
your father. Look at it again. Verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What is he talking about there? He's talking about perfect holiness. He's talking about the, the idea of being complete in every area. So I go back to um, the reality. Nobody's perfect. Hey, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Nobody's even close to perfect. In fact, if we were getting grades here this morning, how would your grades be? In living and, and, and making it up to even just this one section of loving your enemies and praying for those who... How are you doing with that? And you say, well, I did pretty well. Maybe an A minus. Are you serious? Really? How about C minus? How about getting a D? How about failing miserably? I want you to get this again. Because this is the key to this. This morning is so important for you to see. Who were they looking at? Who was speaking to them? Jesus, the Messiah. The King. This morning I have a few things I just want to tell you by way of tying, tying this up. What kingdom do you want to be a part of? The kingdom of survival of the fittest or the kingdom of Jesus? Where do you want to be? Where, where do you want to live out the rest of your days here on earth and go to be with? Where, where do you want to be? Survival of the fittest? It's not going so well, is it? Hurt, pain. There's always pushing and shoving. You don't know. Uh, there's a lack of confidence. You feel exposed. You feel in danger. The kingdom of Jesus. I want to be honest with you um, as I read this and as I struggle through these sections, I feel empty and wanting. I feel empty and wanting and, and fail, a failure. I just go, oh, I, I just don't cut it. And you know what? I believe that's where we're supposed to be. I think that's the accurate understanding of Scripture. We don't come in and look at the Scripture and go, Yay, I'm great. It's, it's to bring us to the end of ourselves. It's to desire someone else. And who? The one, the one they're staring into his eyes. The Savior. The Messiah that was to come. The new King. They were looking at him. This last thing I want to share with you um, may or may not be revolutionary to you. It may be what you're struggling with right now. So you come to church, come to the Word of God, go to a Bible study. You hear something that you're not doing. You feel guilty. You say, I'm supposed to obey this. And so maybe even as that group was sitting there listening to Jesus, they go, got it. I got it, Jesus. You want me to love my enemies. I got it. I'm going to go away and obey. Go away and obey. And maybe you've been living your life saying, I got it. I got it, Jesus. Go away and obey. Set it and forget it. No, that's something different. That's like one of those little oven things that cooks chicken. But uh, go away and obey. That's, that's the way you've been living your life. That's what you've been saying. That's, that's what it is. And so you hear what Christ says and you go away. And what happens? You fail. I want to tell you, that's not what Jesus was saying. 
what Jesus, as he communicated with them, was this. Stay. Walk with me. Hear from me more. Stay. Walk with me. Obey. But stay. Walk with me. You see, in our, in our desire to be humanly right, in our desire to be the best, in our desire to be self-righteous, we say, I got it. I got it. Go away and I'll obey. But Jesus never intended for us to go away from him. He never intended for us to leave his feet. But we are to stay and to walk with him. Jesus is going to be pouring this out in the weeks to come of what this means to walk with him. But for now, uh, you, you need to know that you need Jesus. To look in the eyes of Jesus and say, that's the one that I can't leave. Because if I do, I'll go away, try to obey, fail again. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, I pray for those who are struggling right now. I realize that uh, it's our tendency to want to accomplish in ourselves. And I pray this morning that you'd be working in hearts right now. I pray that you would, uh, through your Holy Spirit, be molding and reshaping that in our conviction, Lord, that we would cry out to Jesus and cling to Him. God, thank You for the forgiveness that's found in Him and Him alone. We thank You so much for this morning and for Your Word. We praise You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.